Uh, let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Daniel first. And uh, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to open your Bible to the book of Daniel chapter 7, or chapter, um, Daniel chapter 7, I believe it is that I want. And uh, what we'll do then is we will, if we'll, we'll look at two verses there, but I want you also to open your book of Revelation, kind of put your finger in two spots, put your finger in Daniel chapter 7, so that we don't have to flip back and forth to it, Daniel chapter 7, Ezekiel, Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, and then open the book of Revelation to chapter 5, the book of Revelation chapter 5. And I have a very simple question to ask you once we look at uh, a couple of verses here. Revelation chapter 5 and Daniel chapter 7. Are you ready? Are you ready to flip back to Daniel once we read Revelation chapter 5? This was the scripture this morning, and the Bible says that no one was worthy to open the seal of the scroll. Open the the, the scroll, no one was, and to loose the seven seals. No one was worthy. But the Bible says in verse 5, But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Verse 7, Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now flip back to Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 and 10 and following. Let's begin at 11 to save some time. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. This is the Antichrist. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. And as for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, capitalized, that would refer to God, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a, and a kingdom." that all people's nations and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and His kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. Now, I had you do that, take the time to do that, because it is generally understood that the scene in Revelation chapter 5, verse 7, where Jesus comes and takes the scroll out of the right hand of Him who sat on the throne is identical to Daniel chapter 7 where it says the one like the Son of Man comes to the Ancient of Days and he is given a kingdom that shall never end. And so I, I preface my remarks this morning with an observation that you and I need to keep in mind when we deal with the book of Revelation. We're always looking for similarities between the book of Revelation and other passages of Scripture. For instance, if you are still in the book of Daniel, and I hope you are, I want you to notice how chapter 7 begins. In the first year 
Daniel, uh, Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream, telling the main facts. Now, this is where I'm going to ask you to give me an answer to a question. Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion. Verse 5, the second was like a bear. Verse 6, after this they looked, and there was another like a leopard. And then a terrible beast, a fourth one in verse 7. The lion, the bear, the leopard. In Daniel's day, they all refer to four kingdoms, right? The kingdom of Babylon, the kingdom of Persia, the kingdom of Greece, and the kingdom of Rome. Babylon is the lion, Persia is the bear, Greece is the leopard, and Rome is the fourth dreadful, terrible beast. Now, turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 13. Revelation, chapter 13. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. Do you see any similarities so far between that and the passage of Scripture we just read? There, were one, there was one. And this beast had seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his head a blasphemous name. Now, there are similarities there that we didn't look at, but I want you to see what comes next. Now the beast which I saw was like a what? Everybody together. A leopard. His feet were like the feet of a what? Bear. And his mouth like the mouth of a what? Lion. Now those aren't just coincidences in the Bible. The fact of the matter is, if we want to understand the book of Revelation, we need to see how the rest of God's Word, especially the prophetic sections of Daniel... And Ezekiel is another one, and Jeremiah, but Daniel, how they correlate with what we're reading in the book of Revelation. Now, you already know that in the book of Daniel, that the Babylonian kingdom came and went, and the Persians took them over, and it came and went, and the Greeks took them over, and it came and went, and the Romans took them over, and came and went. Here is a passage of Scripture that says, wow, now we have a beast that's going to be like all of these kingdoms combined. They're gonna, it's going to have the characteristics of every major kingdom outlined for us in the book of Daniel. Now, let me go back to an observation or two that I must share with you so that we can keep this all in perspective. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, when Jesus gives us these words about the book of Revelation, He says to John, Write the things which you have seen, past, the things which are, present, 
and the things which take place after this future. Think of John's day back in the time of the New Testament. God is giving to him information about the past, information about the present, and information about the future. Now, we're 2,000 years beyond John, and we have to ask ourselves the question, what is past? That's obvious. What is present for us in this day and age, and what is future? And the only question you need to really answer for yourself is, when I look at Revelation after Jesus opens the seals, and we have the seven seals judgment, the seven trumpets judgment, and the seven bowl judgments, is that referring to way back in the time of the Roman Empire? Is that referring to back in the time of the Roman Empire, leading all the way up to the present day? Or is that referring to something future for the most part? That's the only question you need to ask. And the reason why I throw that out that way is because you and I need to understand that Bible-believing pastors, theologians, church people for 2,000 years have wrestled with that question because there's no definitive answer to it. Now, the one thing I can tell you is obviously... We all agree that the new heaven and the new earth is future, right? We all agree that the second coming of Christ is future, right? And I believe that the the thousand-year reign of Christ is future as well. But you have to figure out whether or not the book of Revelation, chapters 5 and following, refer to a seven-year period of tribulation that has yet to come on the earth. That's what I'm asking you to think about today. All right? So as we look at this, I have entitled the sermon in the remaining time that we have, The Devil, the Beast, and the False Prophet. I didn't have room to put in there the Chronicles of Revelation. But I was tempted The devil, the beast, and the false prophet. Now, let's go to Romans, uh, Revelation chapter 12, and just remind you of what we did last week. Because one of the best ways that you and I can get a handle on this is for us to trace the beast and trace the dragon and trace the false prophet through the book of Revelation. I tried and I tried and I tried to sit down and say, I'm going to focus on one little passage of Scripture here and see if this helps us to understand the book of Revelation. And I couldn't do it. I'm just being honest with you. Uh, As badly as I messed up that first number, I messed up the ability to be able to take a passage of Scripture and really, really, really make you see the bigger picture. I kept reminding myself that, Gary, sometimes we can't see the forest for the trees. And you're all familiar with that. One of my famous, famous uh, uh, events in my life, one that I really fully appreciated, and Terry, you'll remember this because you were on this trip, 
and we were hiking on the Laurel Highlands hiking trail, and we took a couple of days to do that, as you remember, and uh, I could probably say this to you, and you would say, I know exactly where you're talking about, but for the most part, you're walking through the woods, you're walking up hills, you're walking in valleys, and you're walking among the, the trees in the forest, but occasionally you come to a vista. High up in the mountains there on the second ridge of the Laurel Mountains there, of Chestnut Ridges first and Laurel Mountains, high up on the ridge there is a vista where you can see seven miles. You can see the Yakagani River meander through the valley for seven miles to Ohiopow. And I remember standing up there, Terry, I don't know if you remember this or not, but we actually saw the hawks and everything flying below us. We were so high that it, it just, the, the whole panorama made all the difference in the world. And you got to, and when you're on, when you're on the Laurel Highlands, you expect to see that from time to time. You got to get to places where you can see the bigger picture, the vista. Um, it kind of reminds me of the lady who went to Yosemite National Park and she found a park ranger, and she seemed hurried, and she said to the park ranger, she said, listen, what should I see in Yosemite Park? I only have a couple of hours. What would you do if you were me? And he said, madam, if I only had a couple of hours to see Yosemite, I would go over there and sit down and cry. <laughs> well, we need, to, we need to get a broader perspective of things. And so I want to very quickly, this doesn't take long, but I want to very quickly trace through the eight chapters in the book of Revelation that deal with the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. In chapter 11, verse 7, is the first reference we have to the beast. To the beast. And the Bible says that John was given a reed to measure the temple of God. And this is the last three years of the tribulation period. I'll just trust me on this one. If you're a premillennialist and you believe that this is referring to the tribulation, you're talking about the last three years when the, when the Jewish people are going to be persecuted like you can't believe. And the Bible says that, uh, um, that God is going to protect His people, but when they finish their testimony, verse 7, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them and overcome them and kill them. And this is in reference to two witnesses that God is going to raise up in that day who are going to be faithful to the Lord in sharing His word and His message to the world. And so that's our introduction to the beast. That's the first time we see his name mentioned in the book of Revelation. We don't know who he is yet. We know he is from the bottomless pit. And now we move over to chapter 12, verses 1 and following, where the Bible says, and this was last week, now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet and on her head a garland of 12 stars. The woman is Israel. And Israel was with child, and this child was Christ. And the Bible says that when this child 
was when, the, when this woman was in labor and pain to give birth, there was another sign that appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. He drew a third of the stars of heaven in verse 4. When the male child was born, he tried to destroy it, but the male child was caught up to God and to his throne, referring to the ascension of Christ. And then we have references to the future. This is not the devil's last attempt to destroy Israel. He hates Israel. He despises Israel. And so in verse 6, the woman fled into the wilderness. I think that that's future because I'm a premillennialist that believe this is in reference to the tribulation period. In verse 7, we have a little bit of a, a, uh, we're going back a little bit. There was war broke out in heaven. Michael and the angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought. They couldn't prevail. The devil, the great dragon, was cast out of heaven. And now we know his identity for sure in verse 9. Everybody together. So the great dragon was cast out. Who is he? That serpent of old called the devil and Satan. And what does he do? He deceives the whole world. And he was cast to earth and his angels were cast out. And it's a great event. It's a great event. And the thing that you and I need to keep in mind is here is the accuser of the brethren, verse 10. The one who instigates all of the accusations that are ever made against God's people. He's the one who instigates them. He's the one who wants to destroy God's people. And let me just simply say this to you. Satan wants to destroy us as well. And the two basic ways, he does it lots of different ways. He tries to do it lots of ways, but there are two basic ways he does it. Number one, he wants you to become so proud that you don't need God for any reason whatsoever, and you can live your life perfectly without him. If he can't do that, he wants you so depressed that you think you're worthless and nobody likes you, and nobody cares. Those are two major ways that the devil tries to destroy us. And so he's always accusing us of wrongdoing. He's always accusing us of God. But how do we overcome the devil's accusations in verse 11? Well, just as they overcame by the blood of the Lamb, you and I overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Because it's not our righteousness. You know, the devil always has something he can accuse you of, right? Yeah, he can always accuse. He can always come up to the, he can always say to the Lord, oh, I, I know what Gary did. I tell you what, he's a rotten, lousy, dirty scoundrel. And all I need to do is claim the blood. All I need to do is say, listen, Jesus stood in my place. He has forgiven me of all of my sin. I stand before the Lord as if I've never sinned. Satan, my sin has been forgiven. You'll remember the little boy who had his Bible and he was reading John 3.16. Here it is again. And as he was reading John 3.16, he heard that voice saying, Ah, don't believe it. It's not true. He looked up and he didn't see anybody. And so he began reading it the second time. John 3.16, what does it say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He no sooner got into it and then he heard that voice again saying, Don't believe it. It's just a fairy tale. It's not true. 
He wants to separate you and I as far away from the Lord as we possibly can be. Because that's the only way he's going to defeat us. That's the only way he has any, any idea or any thought or any effort to defeat us whatsoever. And the little boy looked up. He didn't see anybody. And finally, when he heard the voice the third time when he was reading, he put it under his seat. And what did he say? Everybody together. There, devil, read it yourself. Well, so... Chapter 12 was all about the great dragon. We looked at it last week. And then chapter 13, we introduce, we have the second reference to the beast of the, first, of the chapter that we just read in chapter, of the beast that we read in chapter 11. And here it is in chapter 13. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. And on his horns ten crowns, and on his head a blasphemous name. And the characteristics of this beast are he is going to have the characteristics of all of those world empires that God has destroyed. But I want you to notice something here. I saw one of his heads in verse 3 as if it had been mortally wounded and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. And so they worshipped the dragon, who is Satan, who gives authority to the beast. And they worship the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for how many months? Forty-two months, and every time you read a time reference to three and a half years, it refers to the last three and a half years of the tribulation period, known as the Great Tribulation. He speaks against God. Look at verse 6. He speaks against God. He speaks against His name. He speaks against His tabernacle. And He speaks against those who dwell in heaven. And it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given to him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. I got a, There's an application here right off the bat that I need to share with you. It's right there. You see it. You see it. It's right there. You and I need to make sure that we're, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. I like that hymn. Is my name written there? When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more and the roll is called up yonder from the Lamb's book of life, will you be there? Will you be there? Well, that's the application. He, he brings that up again, by the way. He brings that up again in chapter 17. But this is the beast. This is the beast. Now, I'm going to introduce the third one real quickly here, and then we'll go to chapter 17. We'll skip over a couple of references here and kind of conclude this this morning. Then in verse 11, I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon, like a dragon, not the dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast. And he causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast. And you can read down through there because it's this beast that is responsible for 
causing, verse 16, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark of the name of the beast or the number of his name. This second beast. Now, I call him the false prophet because Revelation drops the name beast for him and now in the rest of the book calls him the false prophet. So that when we get to chapter 16, flip over to chapter 16, okay? When we get to chapter 16, when we have the sixth bull judgment, the Bible says in verse 13, I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the what? The dragon, that's Satan, out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet who was called a beast in the previous chapters. Now, Go to chapter 17, verses 7 and following, and maybe we can wrap this up. Next week, we're going to look at the scarlet woman and the scarlet beast, the harlot of Babylon. But what I want you to do right now is to look at verse 7. After that's introduced, after the harlot is introduced in chapter 17, notice what it says in verse 7. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. So already we know that when we get introduced to the harlot in this chapter and on to the rest of the book, we already know that this harlot is being carried by the beast that we just read about. And we have no reason to assume that's not true because the characteristics of the beast are brought into this interpretation. It has seven heads and ten horns, just like the beast that we talked about. Now, these are, this is very important. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. What do we want to make sure is true of us? We want to make sure that our names are what? Written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen? All right. Now, he interprets it for us. He tells us who this beast is. We wait till chapter 17 to get this information, but we'll just read it here to save some time. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. And there are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has yet to come. When he comes, he must continue a short time. Now, I'm not going to wade through all of that information. I'm looking for the bottom line. I want a bottom line here. I want to know what this is all about. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seventh and is going to perdition. I love the fact that twice we're told that this beast is going to perdition. I love it. He was, is not, is yet to come. Well, the beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth, and he's going to perdition. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. 
These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for He is what? The Lord of lords, the King of kings, and those who are with Him are called chosen and faithful. Then He said to me, The waters which you saw where the, where the harlot sits are people, multitudes, nations, and tongues, and the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. Verse 17, for God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. Now, who do you think the beast is? Let me suggest the beast is the Antichrist. Finally, you have a description of the Antichrist. Finally, you have a description of the one who is empowered by Satan to control the events of history in the last three and a half years of the tribulation period. Finally, you have the identity of the one who is arrogant and proud and uh, wants to, once again, defeat God in his purpose in history. Finally, you have it. And so, it's important for you and I to keep our eye on the Antichrist. John says that way back in the book of 1 John and 2 John. Even though there are many Antichrists in the world all through 2,000 years of history, there is an Antichrist that's coming. Now, having said that, you and I might not be here. You and I might not have to worry about that. That's another sermon. But the fact of the matter is that the Antichrist is coming. He's going to control history for three and a half years in his destruction of God's people, the Israelites, Gentiles, those who are responding to the gospel. And you and I need to be aware of the fact that he is doomed to hell. Let me give you one other past, couple other real quick passages of Scripture which need no explanation. In Revelation chapter 19, Christ returns to this earth. Christ returns to this earth. And when He returns to this earth, He's going to set everything right. He's going to change everything. And He's going to destroy His enemies. Verse 19, And I saw the beast... The kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet. And the Bible says, This is the one who deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. And what happened to these two at the end of verse 20? These two were what? Cast alive into the lake of fire burned with, burning with brimstone. Now, chapter 20, verse 1 and 2, Then I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Ah, relief for a thousand years. Won't that be great? 
That's when the dragon and the Antichrist, the beast, and the false prophet, all three of them, are out of here. Now, Satan is released in chapter 20, verse 7, for a short period of time. But look at verse 10 of chapter 20. The devil who deceived them. I can refer to a lot of people, of course. Was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and forever. So there you have it. You say, Pastor, why are you smiling? Those are dark days that are coming. I know. I understand that. They're dark days that are coming. But those are days that God has planned in His infinite wisdom for whatever reason. No doubt to satisfy justice. Also to show His mercy and His compassion. But the fact of the matter is that God is not going to allow this evil world to get away with it. God is not going to allow it. And so the devil and the Antichrist and the false prophet are cast into the lake of fire. Now I just want to read in closing, I just want to read a portion of a book, just a paragraph, this is Warren Wearsby's book. He wrote a series many, many years ago. I never read this series, and, and I'm going to have to read the book. I, I, I'm admitting to you, I haven't read his, uh, his book of Revelation yet, but it, it looks really good, and I've seen a couple of parts of it. But he begins chapter 12, and I just want to use this as our final application this morning. Revelation 12 and 13 introduces us to three key characters in the drama of the last half of the tribulation period. Satan, the dragon, the false Christ, Satan the dragon, the false Christ, and the false prophet. These three are, in a sense, an evil trinity opposing the true God and His people on earth. While these events will be of specific significance to God's people at that time, the message of these two chapters can encourage suffering children or suffering saints during any age. Satan is the great enemy of the church, and he fights against God and His people by accusing the saints in heaven and attacking them on earth. However, Christ has overcome the old serpent, and he gives victory to his people. The adversary, also, the adversary also works through human means, in this case, the beast, false Christ or antichrist, and the false prophet. Satan is an imitator, a counterfeiter, and he seeks to control men by means of deception. The beast is the future world dictator who promises to solve the pressing promises of the nations. The false prophet is his propaganda minister. For a time it appears that the satanic trio is succeeding, but then their world empire begins to collapse. The nations assemble for one final battle. Jesus Christ appears, and the battle is over. Amen. Need an amen on that one. One final thought. Has this not been the pattern for the church's conflict with evil over the centuries? Whether the ruler has been a Caesar, a Hitler, a Stalin, or an agnostic humanist, Satan has energized and motivated him. The ruler has promised the people 
all that they want and need only to lead them into slavery. That's what the Antichrist will do. He makes this promise to Israel and then he breaks his promise. He has usually had an associate to promote his program to the people and to entice them, if not force them to obey. Often their submission amounted almost to worship. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray in your precious name that as we think of how this applies to us in this day and age, in this present time. Lord, we pray that you would remind us of who wins the battle, who wins the war. Remind us of your protection for your people. Remind us of your strength, the strength that you grant to those who suffer persecution because of their faith. And may we unite as a church together, those of us who are not being persecuted by assault, but only persecuted by insult. But Father, may we unite with the church at large around the world in encouraging each other in the faith. In Jesus' precious name, we pray that you would help us to do just that. In your mighty name we pray, amen. Let's turn in our hymn book to our final closing song of invitation, 295, if you need it. Is your name written there? Everybody's standing as we sing. Is your name written there? You know the Lord. The only way you and I can overcome Satan is to make sure that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. But when the roll is called up yonder, my name's on the roll. And that means I need to come to the Lord and I need to confess my sin to Him. And I need to allow Him to forgive me of all of my sin through what He did for me, not what I'm attempting to do on my own strength. Will you come to Him as we sing, Into my heart, Lord Jesus.